Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29, beginning with the first verse and then verses 4 through 7. Listen now to the Word of God. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to welcome, uh, echo Jones's welcome to those of you who have found yourself in this place um, by circumstance, and uh, we please know that we extend our hospitality to you. The sermon title, uh, you can take it and make of it whatever you want to, make yourself at home. Uh, we shall see where that goes for you, but we are glad that you are here. We are glad to be sharing this with those across the Chattahoochee Valley and around the world. Um, would you please turn your hearts and minds with me as we listen to Scripture in the 17th chapter of Luke, that we may hear what the Lord is sharing with us this day. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at the feet of Jesus, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thursday, I had a distinct privilege of being able to provide the invocation at the celebration of hope for Hope Harbor at the Trade Center here in Columbus. The Hope Harbor organization is also known as the Columbus Alliance for Battered Women. And they exist, according to their 
mission statement and according to the testimony of that event, they exist to provide emergency shelter, crisis intervention, and advocacy for adults and children who are the victims of domestic violence in Muskogee County and surrounding counties here in Georgia. The Thursday event was keynoted by Vince and Barbara Dooley. Vince Dooley, of course, was the uh, coach and the athletic director at the University of Georgia, the football coach, and under his uh, leadership, UGA won a national championship and numerous Southeastern Conference championships. But Vince Dooley and I also shared something else in common. We are both graduates of the history department of Auburn University. I don't know if you knew that or not, all you Bulldog fans. But when I was in graduate school at Auburn, I had a professor, Ed Williamson, who on more than one occasion said, would, would sing Vince Dooley's praise, it, lifting up the value of a liberal arts education and saying, and answering the question, where will that get you? Well, you look at Vince Dooley, and you can see where that will get you. Um, it was wonderful, and we had a wonderful time as we uh, acknowledged those mutual acquaintances in the few minutes that we had together. Later in the program, there was a speaker, Sharika Reese, and she is a survivor of domestic violence, of domestic abuse. In a few minutes, the seven or eight minutes that she had to share, she recounted her journey in how she had gone from arriving at the need to reach out to Hope Harbor and how they responded to her and how as she had worked through that process that she and her two daughters had found a place of safety, a, a home, as it were, to build a new life together, a new way of, of being together, a new, uh, a new possibilities that came. One of her daughters was with her, and while her mother spoke, she stood, and her face beamed with excitement and enthusiasm and appreciation for what her mother was sharing. It was a powerful testimony that was being offered. In some ways, Sharika's story was not unlike the, that story of the children of Israel that Jeremiah spoke about as Jones shared it with you a minute ago, at least parts of it. And, and maybe that is not a story that's not unlike those for those of you who have found your way here because of Hurricane Matthew, we find our ways in places where we didn't intend to go, where we didn't want to go, but we are there nonetheless. The kingdom of Israel had been defeated by the Babylonian empire, and the Babylonians captured and took the population of Jerusalem, or a, a large number of them, and relocated them hundreds of miles away. They were captives. They were forced to leave where they were. They had no choice in it. They faced a future that was uncertain. They faced a future that none of them could have imagined how they would get through it. In the middle of that chaos, 
Jeremiah says to them, make plans for the future. Or as it is rendered in the message translation, build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in that country and will not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Make yourselves at home in the middle of an alien culture, in the middle of a forced march. Make yourselves at home. Live fully. Pray for those around you who may have had some hand in bringing you there. Pray for the welfare of that city, of that country, and yes, for the world in which we share. Do that so that you may be part of a blessing for the world, something beyond even your wildest imagination. Bible scholars point out that this prophecy was not simply meant for individual Jews. This prophecy was meant for you, as in second person plural. We know in the South, though, that there's another word for the second person plural, right? Y'all. Y'all. The blessing is for y'all. All of y'all. No matter where you come from or where you're going, it is for all of y'all. Wherever you are, find that patch of ground where you can make yourself at home and you can plant your crops and you can build your home and you can have your children. Because when y'all flourish, no matter where y'all are, you will give honor and glory to God, and you will share something powerful in the world. We confront challenges in our nation and in our world today. We confront them as individuals, and we confront them as a community and as a nation. What happens to one of us has an effect on all of us. That's the reason that call and response is part of the prayer. What happens to one of us has an effect on all of us, for good or for ill. Recently, there have been a number of deaths in this congregation that have profoundly moved a large number of people and even had ripple, ripples into the larger community of Columbus in the surrounding area. But in addition to that, in addition to those, I am aware of having personally been touched by other deaths in other communities to which I am connected, and I am sure that others of you may have experienced that same thing. This past Tuesday, a good friend and a fellow Presbyterian minister, Penny Hill, died in Atlanta. She had struggled with a two-year battle against lung cancer. She was feisty and spirited, and if you saw that finger come out, you knew she was going to make a point, and you were going to be on the other end of it. But it was always a point that had a purpose. 
And there was always a point that pointed us, no pun intended, that would point you to something else. I can testify to you today that I stand here in this pulpit because of having been pointed at by her on more than one occasion. It was a way of, she had a way of, of shaping and forming and, and making you better. And it was a particularly painful, not only was the death painful to, to listen about and hear about and know about, but it was also painful because she's the same age I am. That's a hard thing that we deal with in our mortality. When a death happens, a good friend or someone who, whose presence affected us in some way, there is a tendency to ask that question, what's it all about? What's it matter? What difference does it make? The difference it makes is that it speaks, is, it, is, is that love happens. Love doesn't just happen, but love happens as we live it out. In the gospel reading today, Jesus heals folks who had a horrible disease. Leprosy, as it is understood in the Bible, was a, a disease that not simply was a physical affliction, but it was a social uh, anathema. Because if you had that disease, you were essentially quarantined. You were spit out into the community, out of the community, and into the wilderness. You had to live on your wits and with other sufferers of, those, of, of that marking. You had to be one who was not accepted by polite society. If you were healed, you had to go through a process of being declared to be healed by the authorities. In this case, in their case, it was the religious authorities. And you had to go to the priest to submit yourself, to say, I am healed. My, my skin is clear. I have been made whole. It was an awful, debilitating way in which to live. And a group of outcasts saw Jesus and they called upon Him and He provided that healing for them. And as they left, only one, though, came back to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done. And that one who came back was either an outcast for another reason. He was a Samaritan. He was from another ethnic group. He was from an alien group and a foreigner, as Jesus says. And the foreigner comes back to say thank you. What's it all about? What difference does it make? How do we then live into this new reality? It makes a difference because people who were cast aside had been made whole. It makes a difference because... There, the, there's a window for the receiving of the grace, but there's also something beyond that, and that is practicing gratitude. The grace was received, but in addition to simply receiving the benefit of this healing, there was one who then turned that around so that he practiced gratitude. He expressed in return, the grace which had been connected to him. The practicing of gratitude, the, the reversal of the receiving of grace, is part of our sharing that. And, 
And we are called upon to make, a, a, make our home in a place where we can return that to the larger community, where we can practice our gratitude, where we can share the difference that God's presence and life and love makes in the world. Cliff Christopher is a Methodist minister, and for the last 20 years of his ministry, he has spent it assisting churches in doing capital funds campaigns. Most churches know about doing capital funds campaigns. They occur every year when a major project has to happen. And this is not a, this is not a capital fund story. This is a story about something else. But he tells this story that he was working with this church, and they were in the midst of this project, and the church leadership received a, a notice from a family in the church that they were making a, a significant donation of some several hundred thousand dollars, and the leadership was happy. It was a wonderful gift. It was very gracious, and they were pleased with that. However, the next week, Cliff Christopher came for one of his visits and consultations with the leadership, and there in the local newspaper was a headline story that this family that had made this gracious gift to the church was giving several million dollars to the local university for a program that the family had nobody in. They didn't have any connection to it. And it raised a question with a pastor, and it raised a question with Cliff Christopher. What's going on here? Why? What's sponsoring or what's touching this generosity? And so they decided to go and, and ask the family for an interview, not to change anything, but just help us understand. Help us understand your thinking and your generosity. And the family said there are three things that encourages, that, that led us to, to make this gift to the university. First of all, um, the president of the university came and asked us for it. Secondly, he told us that this gift would have an impact on the life of students. It would change their lives. It would enable them to do things that without it they could not do. And the last thing is, as much as we love our church, as much as it is a place of comfort and, and, and support for us, we're really not sure that right now we're making a whole lot of difference in people's lives. Whoa. That is a huge story. It's home, but we're not sure it's making a difference in the world. How is it that we know that we can make a difference in the world? How is it that we know here at First Presbyterian Church we have made a difference in the world? Y'all, I'm here to tell you we have made a difference and we are making a difference. There are multiple ways to see that and part of that is the way we engage with each other and where we are. One way that you made a difference in the world was this past spring. There was a confirmation class of nine students, nine sixth and seventh grade young men and women, and they worked for the, from January into May 
to prepare to state and to claim their faith in Jesus Christ. They had been baptized, but now they were saying, this is my faith in Jesus Christ. One of those young people, one young girl, had been born in Texas. Her father was in the military at the time, and the family had lived there, and she had been baptized in a church there. And that church had baptized her with the claim and the promise that we are baptizing you not simply for this congregation, but we are baptizing you in the name of the Christian Church Universal. We are baptizing you for the sake of all Christians everywhere. And our promise to you is that somewhere, no matter where you go, there will be a community of faith that will reach out and nourish nourish you and support you in that process. And the family came to Columbus over time, and the young girl came to the confirmation class, and she said, she made the point of saying, I know that the promise was made for me when I was in Texas, when I was an infant, and I could not understand it, but I know also that the promise was made for you, because you here in this congregation, in this space, This was the space where she came to claim and to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior now. What difference does it make? It makes the difference of being able to proclaim that God, through Jesus Christ, shares life and love and community with all of us. That is the difference that it makes. And that is a huge, huge difference. Every week in this building, Every day we receive students who come here through day school to share and to learn and to grow. Once a week, we receive, there's a group of mothers called Mothers of Preschoolers, and they gather. It's part of a larger program, but they, there's a group that gathers here, and they gather here for nurture and for meetings and to learn, and we provide the hospitality and the meeting space for them. What difference does it make to them? that they have a space here. Every quarter, we receive a family that is in a transitional housing situation, and we literally house them here through the Valley Interfaith Promise. What difference does it make is that it makes shelter for them. It provides shelter for them for that week of their lives. We do this. We open ourselves. We provide education and worship and fellowship and mission and service. We do this to make a difference in this place and to share that throughout the world. We have mission partners around the world who are connected to us and by whom we reach out and speak to the world. What difference does it make? Recently, a family joined this church. They came to share with the session and then to be received here in worship, and they had talked about what to do on Sunday morning and how to spend their time, and the daughter said, I want us to go to church. And shortly after that, they were walking here in Uptown Columbus, and they walked by this church, and the girl said to her mother, This is the church where we will go. What difference does it make to be here, 
to be standing here, but also to be a beacon in ways that we do not completely understand. To let God's light shine through us into the world and to receive back that light that God has shared for us. When we do that, we are making ourselves at home in God's place. And as we do that, we make a difference in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.